Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hello, welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. We are the voice of the Asian tech ecosystem. Here today with the last Asia Tech Podcast of the year 2017. My name is Graham Brown in the studio, joined by my faithful colleague, Michael Waits. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Graham. How are you? Fantastic. You've just come back from Mumbai in India with stories to tell. This is part of the bigger narrative. We're going to wrap this up into the whole Asia thing this week. But listen to this. Michael's been in India for a few days, got a bit of a, a field report from Mumbai. Yeah. So one of the things, yeah, one of the things we decided we were going to do in the middle of the year was we were going to travel and we were going to go around. We were going to try to find the best cities, the best startup cities in Asia. And I think we did do a lot of that. We'll talk about later what the cities are that we did hit. But yeah. I was invited to come to Mumbai to speak at something called the Startup Investors Summit in Mumbai. And this was actually something that was supported by the Prime Minister of India, which was great. And I'll talk about that later. Um, I want to sort of give a shout out to the people that directly invited me. Right. So mm-hmm. David Pasadik was the guy who was originally speaking there. He invited me. Um, this was really organized and, and run and sponsored by a guy named Tapaswi Patel through his Zoom Start Media, Zoom Media, and um, Tapasi Ventures. The people that connected to me directly, Jagpreet Panu and Vinav Banawad, were just awesome. Mm. And you know, I, all I can say is I went to India, and India is like no place I've ever been before. It's just like no place I've ever been. There's one point something billion people in the entire country. I don't think I've ever been in a place where there's so much enthusiasm mm. amidst so many challenges. Really just an incredible, incredible place. And I was, I was brought there to talk about, um, you know, what we learned from Asia Tech Podcast in the context of cross-border investment. So all the people that we've spoken to this year, whether they were venture capitalists, um, seed stage and angel investors – and all of the startup folk to whom we spoke, and just share that knowledge with them. They're really looking forward to not just people investing from India to the rest of the world, but people investing from the rest of the world cross-border into India. And I spent sort of 30 to 45 minutes talking about that and taking questions after that. But it was a great way to kind of round up the year, Hmm. um, and particularly round up all the traveling that we did. And one of the interesting things that I learned there, and this was really great, right, because um, one of the very senior women in the administrative government in the Maharashtra um, state in India, right? So Mumbai is the capital of that state too, or the biggest city in that state for sure. She stood on stage and she said, she said, look, India is the youngest, if not one of the youngest countries in the entire world. And we've got 10 or 15 years where that's going to be true. And during that 10 or 15 years, we need to take the opportunity. We need to seize the opportunity to make sure that we benefit from that youth. And if technology investing, startup building, startup investing, angel investor networks, I met the Mumbai angels, I met so many angel investors and angel networks there, you could just feel the energy that was around that youth. I think this was the youngest conference I've ever attended as well. Mm. Like if I could show you photographs of all the founders, men and women, right? Boys and girls to a certain extent, like they were all under 30. And one of the things that I said when I was standing on stage at the beginning of my little presentation was, um, this was the smoothest transition into a country that I had never been before, right? I thought it was actually interesting for me because this was probably the first time in 
I've been in Asia for 27 years, right? And I front-loaded a lot of the traveling that I did um, when I was much younger, right? But this is the first time I've been in a new country. So a country I've never been to before in Asia hmm. in maybe 20 years. It was good timing. Super good timing. And it was really interesting. But let me just say this. I arrived at the airport. There was somebody from the conference there to pick me up. The airport is really close to the place where we were staying. I mean, no problems, a little bit of traffic, but traffic. We're in, we're in Asia, right? We're used to those types of things. Not a problem. Um, getting into the hotel was, up, was not a problem. The following morning when we went to the event, no issues at all. The event went off without a hitch. Um, I just can't say enough about how organized and how well produced this event was. And the great thing is that after, when it was all said and done, the prime minister of India sent a letter hand signed to the event organizers saying, you know, basically, thank you so much for representing India so well. There were people from overseas there. The media was there. Everybody will understand like how amazing India is. And you've done a really large job of helping us make sure that the world gets that message. And what I was told as well is, and we'll talk about cities in a minute, but this is the first of probably seven to 10 cities where they plan on doing what they're calling SIS, right? Startup Investor Summit in India. And they'll probably do those over the next year. So this is not a one-time thing. This is like the beginning of a series of events that they want to do in all the major and some of the sort of second-tier cities in India as well. And remember, second-tier cities in India, the same way we talk about second-tier cities in China, they're not small, right? No, no. Yeah, these are capital <laughs> cities in their own right, really. Absolutely. Anyway, very, very impressed and super impressed with the not just the enthusiasm but the knowledge – and the sort of sophistication of the angel investors that were there. I mean, if you listen to them sit up on stage and talk about blockchain and e-commerce and community building and all yeah. of these things, it was just very sophisticated conversations and also sophisticated conversations about the future of education, the future of technology, right? You saw that Ola, at least in the news, announced yesterday that they were buying the food delivery service of Food Panda. And think about this, that they were going to invest another $200 million dollars okay into that into that part of their delivery business what's happening in india is really unprecedented and it's huge mm. so for me to go there at this time particularly at the end of the year right now we can talk about the rest of the cities that we that we visited this year because i think it's also interesting but to end it in mumbai was actually amazing yeah it's a good call Let, let's throw some stats out there about india let's in general and then um I'll, i want to ask you about how India fits into that picture because it wasn't part of our picture when we started out in the year, but obviously came in right at the end. But let's talk about that in a minute. First, the stats. So this is from Mohandas Pai, who's the former CFO at Infosys. And Infosys is the, the large IT outsourcing uh, concern in India, one of the largest. I'm not sure if it's them or Vipro, but Infosys is up there, one of the top two. So these are the guys that pretty much run the back offices to most of all the telecoms and utilities companies in the world, right? Yep. So he said, so bearing in mind that India has established itself as an IT outsourcing um, go-to hub, that an Infosys was built on that. Now he's talking about startups, which is sort of the second generation coming through, people who are skilled up in tech and you know software developers and people who can program and so on. And he said that over the next 10 years, we expect more than 100,000 new startups to come up and create more than $500 billion in value and 3.5 million people to be employed in these startups. Let's think about those stats again. 
100,000 new startups. Wow. I mean, that's no, that's not a bearish statement by any margin, is it? But it's kind of, I mean, that can only really happen. I know we kind of hear these figures in China, but to have 100,000 startups alone, I mean, I don't even know if there are 100,000 startups here in Japan. Yeah, I would doubt it. And and even in the United States or in Silicon Valley, there definitely aren't 100,000 individual founders starting up companies. That would shock me. So what do you think that's hype or do you think that well, now that you spent a little bit of time in India, a bit more qualified to see it and talk about it? Right. So I want to qualify this, right? So one of the other things that I said when I was on stage was I don't know anything about India. And that's, again, in relative terms, right? In other words, I know so much about Thailand. I know so much about Japan. I know so much about Southeast Asia. This was my introduction to India. And my introduction there tells me that you can put a number on anything and it's probably too small. Right, yeah. Just because it's massive. The sheer scale, and we'll talk about scale and speed and velocity later, but the sheer scale of that country. And remember... One of the guys, you have to remember this too. So one of the guys who was talking about the future of education on stage said, it's amazing to him because he really wanted to change the education in the country. And he said, it was amazing to him that in a country of over a billion people, there were only three career choices. Yeah. Okay. And one of the first one was engineer, hmm. right? You'll meet a lot of Indian men and women and they've gone to school to study engineering, IIT, right? Any of the Indian institutes of technology, whether it's a physical engineer or a software engineer, engineers, and they're everywhere and they're super well educated. And the other was a doctor, mm. right? Because being a doctor, it's, you know, obviously it speaks for itself. But the third one surprised me, family disappointment. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, and he was just trying to make a point. Is, and the point was that we need to modernize the entire education system. But the one thing, one of the things that India did really well this century, and maybe towards the end of last century, was just create these IITs, these Indian Institutes of Technology, and said, we want, every, we want the most educated people to be better educated than anybody else in the world when it comes to sort of math, science, and, and, and engineering. And they're doing that. But just think about the scale. So if you want to talk about there being 100,000 startups, I wouldn't be shocked if there were 500,000. Because right. in the context of a billion people, if there are 500,000 fa- founders, sure. Like that doesn't seem like a really hard thing to do. And employing 3 million more people and creating, what, is, what did he say, $500 billion of revenue? Value, yeah. Value. Yeah. Like I just think those numbers, like I said earlier, at that scale, I think you can put numbers on anything in India and they'll be too small. Right, right. So that, the interesting thing is in China, those numbers are probably already surpassed. But in India, the difference being is they've still got to get to those numbers. So the scale of growth still left is phenomenal, isn't it? It you know, is phenomenal. There's no shortage of education, as you say, and there's no shortage of willing. So really, it's just now a case of executing the plan, isn't it, and getting it done. Yeah, and and again, just... I'm not an expert. I will go back. I want to participate in some of these other events. And actually, we were invited to go participate in an event in March as well, mm-hmm. um, a very famous event, very technically oriented. I want to say this too. One of the other things that the you know the angel investors and the institutional investors did say was we need to move from – and you hear this all the time sort of in the nascent stage of, of a technology startup ecosystem. We need to move and we're starting to move from copying things that are taking place in the West yeah. to building deep tech. Why can't we build more deep tech here? And we can, particularly with the level of engineering and, and programming skills that we have. Mm-hmm. So what I want to ask you, Michael, is that India didn't feature 
as a major concern in our programming or our you know our our world view when we started out doing the Asia Tech podcast. We had a deliberate plan, which was you know we were going to focus on what we knew best, which is Southeast Asia and Japan, and then. China came knocking on our doors and, you know, we couldn't avoid China because there was a whole bunch of founders from China who wanted to be on the show. Right. Because they had an influence that went beyond their borders. And so we started doing China and they became part of it, the show. And we started interviewing Chinese startups. So we had China covered, Southeast Asia, Japan. And then we kind of left India out to the end. We did a couple of interviews. We did uh, Honey Kuthuria, who does co-work. Um, obviously, a lot of founders with Indian origin who may have been Singapore or anywhere else in Southeast Asia. However, we didn't really go deep into Asia. We made a conscious decision, didn't we? Because we knew if we unearthed India, then it would be endless. It would be 100,000 startups that we'd have to cover if we really wanted to get a head and tail of India. So how, right. how do you feel about it now? How does it fit into our general schema? I think if you watch what happens in 2018, I think we're going to see more and more participation. I think, frankly, I think it was a miss on our part, if you don't mind me saying. So we, we interviewed this guy named Rajesh Segal as well. And Rajesh spent years at Franklin Templeton working directly with and for Mark Mobius, Dr. Mobius, as he likes to call him. He's been angel investing for over 10 years and finally went out and started his own company called Equanimity Investments. He's invested in some really interesting stuff there. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I think we missed was the impact that India is not just having domestically, but across border. Mm-hmm. And they are, I think, this year starting to talk about how do we get more involved in the tech ecosystem in the entire world? And I think that's one of the things that happened at the end of this year. I think that's one of the reasons why there were a few foreigners invited to this SIS 2017 summit in Mumbai. And I think going forward, we're just going to see more and more of this. And we should talk, actually, I think now about the cities that we did visit because we did have a very specific goal that we kind of figured out in the middle of the year was we know what we know but the only way we can learn more is by going to those cities and talking to those people getting out there on the road yeah and isn't this doesn't this kind of segue nicely with what we talked about last week you know we spent a lot of time talking about asia matters right Mm -hmm. and i think we need to just reiterate like just more reasons why Asia matters. Just the speed, right? Mm. The scale, I think, may be the most important thing. Yeah. Well, there was that, one... that Google Tomasek report that came out, which was just one slice through Asia, right? Southeast Asia Online. Yeah. And, and the figures that they had predicted, 480 million internet users, they were now saying were too low. So yeah, scale-wise, that was just one market within Asia, right? Right. We are too low. And, and I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, too. Something only like 35 to 40% of internet penetration in a country like Thailand. And I think that's kind of still indicative of what's happening in the region. And that means that Mm. there's still more and more and more people that are coming online. And that growth is accelerating. The velocity of change here is insane. Mm. Okay. And I think one of the things that that brings up is, again, so how many people did we interview this year? We talked about it before. 150. At least, right? I mean, that's a rounded number. But if we think about interviewing 150 people and how many more people wanted to be on the show, how many more people we're going to, st- we're going to interview next year, the verticals that we introduced and just the, the filling out of all of those um, conversations, you know, there's just so much going on from a scale standpoint. And the thing that I was thinking about 
um, over the past week, particularly when I got back from Mumbai, right? Because one of the things that was said there as well was we need to, like, we need to start building deep tech. I already mentioned it. Yeah. But that point is we no longer have to look outside of this region for, and, you know, for lack of a better term, best practices or the best mm-hmm. ideas. Right. Right. In, you know, I wanted to throw out, we talked about it before too, but like I wanted to throw out the, the Mox thing. So William Babin, you know, runs this thing called Mox and, and via the China Accelerator and the SOS, so SOSV program. And, you know, you and I have said, we're on the record of saying we don't love, you know, pitching competitions and all this other stuff, but they did a live stream, okay, of one of their events and there were two and a half million people participated yeah, yeah. in the live stream. It practically broke the Facebook live thing. <laughs> but just think about that. Yeah. Like that scale is just incredible. So when those people jump on that feed, when the Mox team or their SOSV team or even the team in India, because we were live, we, we were Facebook living the thing from India as well. You know, why or why is anybody, if you look at the name, you know, the list of the people that we had, right? These are just some. Okay, whether it was Rena or Bobby Liu or Michelle Kung or Marcus, I can go through the whole list, right? Holly Harrington in, ta- in Taiwan, Tang Lim Fu, who, you know, runs the seed investment business of Jungle Ventures in Singapore. You just, why do these people need to look to the West for best practices anymore? Yeah. Well, there's, there's that sort of, that cultural dominance that the West has had. And a lot of that goes with the media narratives associated with Silicon Valley and so on. And we, we looked at that last week, didn't we? We had that data coming out of Silicon Valley, which suggested 50% of startups in Silicon Valley had or have an, a co-founder of Asian origin. And that just sort of puts to bed the argument that as a people, generally, Asian people don't do deep tech, as you put it, or originality. You know, this is a culture which, yes, it has grown up on copycatting that's got it a foothold in the world economy, Right. But to say that they can't go beyond that and said, oh, where are all the Asian creative directors or, you know, the Asian, the creative inputs in these startups, right? They're just great at programming. But there you go. It's right staring at us in the face now. You know, that if 50% of all these startups have founders of an Asian origin, it just goes to show that, well, you know, that can happen here in Asia as well. You know, those startups which are happening in Silicon Valley, can happen here if not better. Yeah, and you know what? This is this is another really interesting thing that came out of the trip to India, and I've heard this um, corroborated in in India, so in China, and in Southeast Asia, Singapore included. And that is, you know, Amazon runs this sort of big, and I never pronounce this word right, but hegemonic business in the United States, right, where nobody is even really willing to challenge them when it comes to e-commerce. And yet in India and in China and the rest of this region, no one's afraid of them. There's no fear. But just think about the the significance of that. And that gets back to this Asia Matters thing. It's like you can come here, but the teams that you'd have to hire, to and we talked about this all throughout this year, the team that you'd have to hire to build your e-commerce business out here or your logistics business to compete with what's already here, even though it's smaller but scaling up really quickly, You'd have to hire people that are already doing it for themselves and they don't want to work for you. Yeah. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that scale a little bit in the context of Mumbai because it's one of those cities that people don't appreciate how big it is. And the, well, if you look at the actual data here, Mumbai population, 18 and a half million. It's one of those, <laughs> you know, that's the official population, right? 
Yeah, and we know. So, like, Bangkok, they say the official population is 8 to 9 million people. I'm sure that on a regular basis there's something more like 12 or 13. Yeah. So add 25%, right? And if you do the same thing in in Mumbai, you know, it's, it's over 20-something million people are probably in Mumbai or resident in Mumbai or so, in, like, that area every single day. Right. So that's, that's like one city. What, two New Yorks, right? At least. Two New Yorks, but it's, like, three Singapores or four Singapores. There you go. So the interesting thing about the scale here is that let's say you have this city, which is two or three Singapore's or two New York's on its own. That's just one city. And it's just one city of this, all the cities that we've been looking at. So let's put this into context because you talked about us getting out there. Right. So where did we go? Right. Mumbai, obviously. Yep. We went to Mumbai. Last. Fukuoka. Last. Yep. Right. Fukuoka in, in Japan, which we'll talk about in a minute, because that was an interesting venture. Tokyo, obviously. Shanghai, again, population-wise, is up there with Mumbai, right? Bangkok. Massive. Yep. Singapore and Hong Kong. Hong Kong on its way this week, right? Yep. So, and, and there were a few more that we've left out as well. Tokyo. Just because we, we were t- in Tokyo talking about startups, right? Yep. We haven't done Jakarta and Ho Chi Minh, but I'm sure we're going to talk about those in a minute. But yeah, isn't that interesting we, that Mumbai is just one city out of, and we'll talk about the voting as well, but our voting this year, when we asked people to ask the listeners to nominate their top startup cities in Asia, <laughs> there were 30 cities that got voted for. So, you know, if Mumbai is one of those cities. It just, it's incredible how much we're talking about in terms of scale here. Cause I don't think you could get 30 cities voted for in the US alone. You know, if you ask for startup cities, right? I mean, maybe you could, Four or five, no. six at a push. But where? So I was doing it in my head, right? Boston, New York, Chicago. They'll kill me for this. Denver, right. San Francisco, and Los Angeles. And I think, uh, you know, Boston is kind of pushing a little bit. There are great startups there, but you don't hear about a lot of great venture capitalists there. And there's so much concentration in California, whether that's San Francisco and, and L.A. and maybe some in New York, right? There's not that much in Chicago. Groupon was like the biggest company in Chicago. It took all the information. So even Chicago doesn't count. But I would say like five cities in the U.S. But even those five cities alone mm. don't have the same population as any five any of the large five cities in Asia, in Asia. Because you could take the far five largest cities in each country, pick your five favorite countries, right. India, China, Thailand, Indonesia, I don't know, pick another gigantic country, Vietnam, it doesn't really matter. And you probably have over 100 million people. Hmm. That's a third the size of the United States. In, I suppose, let's take the position here that the criticism has always been, and this is something that we've talked about in our recent podcast with Asia Matters, is that, okay, that's fine, but a those Asian cities don't have the infrastructure that the Valley has. And B, the, what we just talked about now, they don't have that, creative class of people who you know they have a lot of people who are good at knocking out code but nobody can actually tell you what that code can do or think of something different for that code so that's one criticism and thirdly the cultural aspect as well which is you know you have a culture of entrepreneurs brought up on all the stories of the entrepreneurs that came before them in the u.s as an example but do we have that in asia so these have always been the criticism leveled at those cities in asia saying okay that's very well you have the scale but you don't have the vital components that are really the quality aspects of a startup ecosystem. Right. And you're just starting to see the beginning of that. And I think that gets back to this concept that, you know, India is the youngest country in the world that they have a 10 to 15 year window where they can take advantage of that youth. 
and you see some of the big internet companies like Ola is the perfect example saying, we need to take the money that we're either raising or earning and invest that back into the ecosystem. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's changing. You're seeing Chinese companies, whether it's Tencent or, or Alibaba or JD, start to invest their money cross-border into like growing markets like Southeast Asia. And you're seeing companies like GrabTaxi run by, what is it, Anthony Tan, right? They're saying, we're going to not, we're going to get into payments. We're going to buy three companies. Gojek says they're going to buy three fintech companies in, um, in Indonesia or in the whole region to then build out their payment system. Like they're starting to reinvest the money again that they've either earned or raised. And this is in the hundreds of millions of dollars back into the ecosystem. Remember, in the old days, they'd take some of that windfall, for lack of a better term, and maybe invest it in a U.S. company, if for no other reason than just to get the cachet of being like a global player. That's no longer necessary. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the people that stood on stage in India were saying, like, we can do this. Yeah. We're just, and you had to see it. You could feel it, right? We're just not afraid. We can do this. You know we can do it. We, and you're right. Maybe the infrastructure is not there, but but again, the government is the governments are paying attention in every single one of these countries, right? I was like, you'll be some, you'll be shocked. Can't announce this stuff. You'll be shocked at some of the stuff that's going to come out of Thailand. We already know what comes out of Singapore every year. The Indian government is completely committed to growing startups in that country as well. They're going to unleash some amazing things in 2018, and you know. What's really interesting to me is when the United Arab Emirates were trying to make a decision on how they were going to make their, you know, how they're going to accelerate their startup ecosystem. Sure, they may have traveled to Silicon Valley to see what happened there, but because of the size and scale of that country and the amount of wealth that they had there, it was more equivalent to what was going on in Singapore. Mm. And because they built the DFC, the, you know, the Dubai Financial Center and a lot of the stuff and infrastructure around it, they learned from Singapore. They went back to Singapore. Yeah. To learn about what types of things, how the governments there can support and accelerate the growth of the startup ecosystem as well. The GCC is not that big, but you can't tell me that the infrastructure isn't there and that the wealth isn't there. But the, when they wanted to learn about it, they came to Asia to figure that out. They did not necessarily use the example of the United States and Silicon Valley. Yeah, Asia, Asia matters, right? And that's what they thought. They thought, we see what's happening there. We see the speed of growth. They actually want to take some of their money. If you look at the – so I sat next to a guy from Bahrain on my way home from India. He was part of the you know Bahrain government. Um, and he was – like we were talking about like why he was an Indian and other stuff like that. But he was in India. Hmm. Okay? The point is that all those co- countries are looking to what's happening here because of that scale. We didn't talk about other numbers um, – in the voting that we did. And we should talk more about like what we're going to do with the votes as well, because yeah. we are in December, but do you want, do you want to mention some of the other numbers that were there? Like, again, just about the scale and the interest for the people that we were talking to and that voted. Yeah. You want to go through some of the, uh, the number of people who were elected or nominated for these votes, for example, I mean, cities yeah. and so on. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah so let, let's just talk about, we can, so how many people got votes, even if it's just approximate 30 odd, there's about 30. Yeah, I mean, this was, let's just run through this very quickly then. So we, we brought this into six different categories. We'll go into this in more detail when we post this on the site this week, which is our sort of best of 2017, why Asia matters. And the first category was for the outstanding contribution to the Asian startup ecosystem. Uh, that one, we only seeded that with about five or six of our own sort of names just to get the thing going. And 
I think in total, well, more than 30 on that one, we had just over 40 people elected, nominated for that particular category, and a total of 2,800 votes. So it's no sort of like, you know, it was, this wasn't a straw poll. This was a proper vote. And we won't, won't go into the details about who and what and so on. We'll save that for next week. But that was a well-supported vote. So there were a lot of people in there. And this is the interesting point why I brought up the, the numbers of how many we seeded it with. There was a lot of people in there we didn't know who had a lot of support in Asia and were doing some great things. And I suppose it's indicative of Asia in a way that they weren't actively out there promoting themselves. They were just diligently building out their ecosystems, whether it was building a network of angel investors or building an accelerator or building their startup and supporting other startups in the process. And they had a very well-established vocal ecosystem around them, but they weren't actively going out there to the US or to the West or outside of their own markets and saying, hey, look at me. Because they're just getting down and doing the work, right? Yeah, they were just too busy, like, getting stuff done. Exactly that. And that's a very Asian thing in a way, isn't it? Yeah, but again, when you're in a market that's moving so fast, you don't have so much time to, like, give the thumbs up. And, I I mean, and we talked about this, again, this is my bias, but I think for some of the people that did have a lot of the time to do the thumbs up, up, they maybe were not even included in the vote, or they were just so low on the poll, it didn't even really matter. There were over 70 people that got votes this year. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing, Graham. Yeah, big numbers. And not just in terms of the people as well. What really surprised us was the accelerator programs. That was a real surprise, wasn't it? Because they're not well known in Asia. I mean, everybody knows White Combinator or 500 startups. But accelerator programs in Asia themselves are very localized. But, you know, they've been busy doing their thing, just like the people, right? And we started off with a handful, less than five names on that list for the accelerator programs, right? And we ended up with 43 nominations. Unbelievable. And look at the numbers of votes that came in for the accelerator programs. We had a total of just under 1,000, 938 votes. So that was surprising, yeah. you know? It's like people cared. People cared about these accelerator programs and what they were doing in Asia. And, you know, that mattered. Yeah, it does. And how many venture capitalists do we have as well? So actually, it wasn't even just VCs. It was just, we just said investors, right? Who are the best investors? Over 30 of those as well. Yep. Could have had more. And events. Just think about how many events there were. Yeah, yeah. And this is before the blockchain event that took place last week. Like, there's just so much happening. And before the events that we know were happening in India, but that people didn't vote for yet, right? And I guarantee you that they'll be voting this year. Over 30 events. Yeah. So think about at least more than two and a half a month. Mm. And those are just the ones that people voted for. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's just gigantic. Yeah. So you factor in, I mean, just take the cities as an example. You know, we talked about Mumbai, and Mumbai was just one city on that startup city list. And it it wasn't even in the top 10, interestingly, right? And no. That that was sort of a maybe a bit of sample bias because we hadn't gone long on India this year, so we didn't feature a lot of Indian startups and Indian founders. So maybe you know there wasn't so many Indian founders in our network. So if there were, they would have got more votes in for Mumbai. But there was that sort of concentration around a specific group of cities, and we'll talk about those next week as well when we we push out our. our summary of the year the best of 2017 and why asia matters 
But that was just so interesting that people really cared about their cities and there was a lot of voting. 1,653 votes cast for the best startup city in Asia. And right. just consider that Mumbai is just one of those startup cities. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I never pronounced the name of the city right, but Hyderabad, yeah. And then there's Delhi and there's Goa where there's a big yeah. um, population. Bangalore obviously is on our list. Mumbai was on our list. You know, Delhi's not even on here, right? And it's massive. Right. Chennai. Yeah. Chennai, there's yeah. So many, there's so many cities in India where, like you said, I think it's just because I think it's our selection bias, right? Like we yeah. were not so great at being inclusive of what was happening in India. Now that we are, hmm. you can be darn sure that the excitement that's being generated there is going to show up right. in any kind of conversation that we continue to have about this. And frankly, the more that we go there and see what's happening there and have a better understanding about that, I think the more that's going to continue to show up here as well. Right. But isn't that the thing? I mean, if you consider, let's say you wanted to do this for the US or North America, and you could probably get the coverage you needed to because everybody's connected to everybody. Everybody speaks the same language and there are established pathways, aren't there? There are established networking groups that are all connected to each other. There are established websites where you go for the information. There are, you know, a handful of events and there are, key names who are the undisputed names as the angel investors or the VCs in their country, right? That Take that as North America, but you consider Asia. And, you know, I'm trying to justify our reason for not covering every single corner of Asia. It's just so freaking massive. It's just <laughs> so problem. vast. It is. That's the problem. We can't, I mean, when we say we didn't even do Jakarta or Ho Chi Minh in terms of our tour, you know, that between them, they're like, what, 30 million people or something. We just couldn't get around to it. It was just too big. There was too much. Yeah, I mean, there's almost 400 million people that live in just those two countries. And we missed, right. like, we didn't get to Indonesia and we didn't get to Vietnam. Yeah. And again, it wasn't because there was no interest there. It was just, ti- you know, timing and logistics on our part, not on anybody else's part, right? So, yeah. again, we like to say this. We want to call ourselves out as opposed to getting called out. Yeah. But, but here's, here's the other difference, Graham. I want to introduce this, right? Is that... If you're sitting in Mumbai, or you're sitting in Jakarta, or you're sitting in Ho Chi Minh, or even in Hanoi, right, or in Manila, which we haven't talked about that much, right, the Philippines has 100 million people in it as well, it's the fifth largest English-speaking country in the world, or if you're in Bangkok, or you're in Chiang Mai, right, where did I miss, if you're in Singapore, you're not sitting there thinking, you know what, we're the center of the universe, and we don't need connectivity or help from anyone, you're not thinking that at all. Right, and this is where things get really interesting and important for me. What you're really thinking is, okay, we've got an incredible kick-ass ecosystem here, but it's going to be even stronger if we connect to what's going on, you know, not just in Bangkok, not just in Jakarta, but in the rest of the region, right? Yeah. And the biggest problem, and you'll see this play out actually over the next year or two, I really believe this, in the other markets, right, in the United States in particular, is that if you're sitting in Silicon Valley, you just sit there every day with a myopic view of the world thinking, you know what? First of all, we're the center of the universe and all the great innovation and all the great minds come here. Right? We'll see what happens in the United States. Again, I don't like to talk about politics, but we'll just see what happens over the next year or so as immigration policies change. Will they go to Canada? Will they stay in their own country, right? So if you're an Indian founder, with access to a gigantic market with government incentives to stay in Mumbai, in Hyderabad, or in Chennai, or in Bangalore, right? Or in Delhi, 
why would you go to the U.S. if you have a billion people to deal with in India and some great problems to solve, which is what great entrepreneurs want to do, and no hassles either. Hmm. Why would you do it? Exactly. Why would you do it? That's the whole point. So they're sitting there at home thinking, you know what? Maybe I was educated at Stanford, but maybe I was educated at IIT. But either way, why not just go back to the country that I know and love where my family is? And I'm going to build something gigantic there because I can and because I'm not getting hassled every day about you know, who I am or where I'm from. I'm just saying the opportunity for that to happen I think is really huge. Mm. Well, if you're if, see a, sorry, go ahead. If Mr. Pai from Infosys was right and 100,000 startups are going to come through in the next decade in India, then there's going to be a big sense of missing out, isn't it, for a lot of these Indian-born startup founders in the U.S.? I'm just telling you, you sit there at this conference and you just think, there's so much to do in such a positive way that given the over sort of broking, for lack of a better term, or the overexposure, the overinvestment in the United States, why would you do it? Yeah. Just why would you do it? Because the governments of the states and the governments of the country of India alone are looking at ways to make um, the country more beneficial and easier to deal, deal in from a startup perspective. And I know from really straightforward conversations with government and government-related people in Thailand, the same thing is happening here. You're talking about tax abatements, um, free not free, but like very heavily discounted office space. All the things that have already happened in Singapore are starting to happen in the rest of the region. And you know, if a Thai entrepreneur has the opportunity, or even a Hong Kong entrepreneur, we know because we spoke to, you know, Jane, right? Yeah. About what was happening, Jane Chan, and what was happening there. Um, the, the, the types of entrepreneurs and startups that have historically left Hong Kong, whether it's hardware or software to go to the United States are going to stop doing that because they're sitting there looking over their shoulders at a market that is so massive and is competitive, but still that competition leads to great innovation as well. Yeah. And yeah, and all of the companies in this region are starting to look across region as well. It's just going to create an incredible environment for innovation and, as we said earlier, acceleration, speed, and velocity into scale Mm. that's just not going to go away. And it's not going to be satiated either. And even if it is, it's 10 years out. I want to put on the table this the historical precedent of Asia in terms of bettering itself and advancing itself. And I think this is key, isn't it? Because you mentioned that, that whole idea that it's easy to get comfortable when you are the center of the world in your own mm. world, right? And and people see yep. you as that, right? People buy into that. You know, when I was in Singapore recently, I took my son to the Asian Civilizations Museum, which is an awesome nice. museum. It's so good in there. I mean, it's, it's a bit like the British Museum, but nothing in there is stolen from other cities. <laughs> it's all their own stuff, right? But it's, it, it just, it's fascinating because it, it's, it's, it shows you, you know, there's pictures in the Asian Civilization Museum of what Singapore looked like back in the early 20th century, right? And it was nothing. Yeah. It was just warehouses and a few coolies in their boats. And that was it, you know, and a few Indian manual workers that had been brought in with the empire, but nothing. And then, you know, what I found really fascinating, because I wanted to show my son, I wanted to show him that this is where it came from. And what I thought was fascinating is even if you accelerate that history, a hundred years where, you know, Singapore had nothing. It didn't have any resources apart from people and a port, effectively, right? And you go into the 21st century, and then, you know, you could you ever imagine if Singapore sat on its butt and said, well, 
we're pretty happy with manufacturing and you know making hard disks or whatever they were making back then you know as well. sound cards sound creative cards, technologies whatever it was but it was more than that exactly. but that was one of the examples right could you imagine if they sat there and said oh, we just want to be the best at this and we're gonna we're gonna do this because we're the one of the world centers for this let's just do that but you know they've gone through a number of iterations since then it just seems to be that asia when it comes to delivering you know in terms of right okay we're good at this but we can't stop here we've got to take this to the next level you know, Singapore pushed itself into that startup frontier, you know, which was a risky venture for it, right? Yeah, they didn't have to. Nobody told them to, right? Exactly. You know, and they, they could have done all right out of services and which they sort of reinvented themselves after manufacturing, right? But that sort of attitude and that's something that isn't talked about. And when Asia matters, I think we have to talk about that as well, because, you know, that is in stark contrast, I feel, to the worlds we left behind, the old world, if I could use that. Do you you think can. That's fair? Is that a fair thing to say about the old world? I know we're both from the old world, so we're qualified in a little way. Yeah, I think it's a really fair thing to say. And I would say this too. The history of a country like China, Indonesia, Thailand, the histories of all these, India, right? The history of all these countries is so long that I think the view that all of these countries take, like if you had gone you know, pick a city in the United States that has 5 million people in it and said, okay, I want a 25-year plan or a 50-year plan to transform this from a fishing village into a global economic powerhouse. Nobody would have had mm. the mindset to be able to wait that long or to create a plan or develop a strategy for that long. It's just like quarter to quarter or year to year. And, and they would have called you a socialist as well for doing it, right? Sure, but like – Look at what Lee Kuan Yew did in Singapore. And everyone says, sure, but that's just a tiny island with, you know, five and a half to six million people on it. But look what the Chinese government did in China. There are a billion people there. Mm. And, you know, India is an interesting example because it's the largest democracy in the world. And, you know, I would bet that there are even some Indians there that would say, maybe we need to have a little bit more, um, what's the right word? Benign dictatorship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they would say that, but we can say that for sure. And I, I think the point would be like, shouldn't we be slightly more organized and have a longer yeah. view plan? Because if we had been doing this ourselves for the last like 50 or 60 or 100 years, we probably would have that plan too. And, and I think that's one of the things that, again, came through when I was there. And like I said, I'm no expert, right? So I'm generalizing after four days of being there. And I don't necessarily like to do that. But again, that that energy and excitement about working together to build something that's better for everybody as opposed, as opposed to just building something that's better for each individual felt very powerful to me. But I think it's like you said, that history is going to show that being myopic is the first step towards irrelevance, mm -hmm. right? So you can sit in Silicon Valley and we know people because we've we've tried to deal with people there and they you know they say the most amazing things like you know just get me this that and the other thing and then maybe I'll deal with you and I'll give the benefit of me and my stuff to you know little places like Bangkok where they've allocated yeah. half a billion dollars to this or Singapore where they've got you know the IDA the MDA the you know NRF and all these programs and Tamasek and GIC and some of the biggest sovereign wealth funds in the world and and India which is you know ridiculously wealthy at some level and has incredible engineers and we haven't even gone to thailand and malaysia and indonesia 
or any of these places, right? So we did leave KL out of this too, but KL has magic and all of the, and the cradle fund, right? But you're just thinking about none of those places are being myopic and they're all becoming more relevant. And I think that's the key thing about this Asia Matters thesis and that is, you know, what is that, what is that, um, what is that saying you like to use? The frog at the bottom of the well? Oh, yeah. I can't remember. The frog in the well doesn't know the ocean. Right, doesn't know the ocean exists. Yeah. Okay, Japanese. and this, yeah, so this was actually, so there was a great parable that was told, and I'm going to get it wrong, but there was a great parable told by one of the gentlemen who gave a presentation on the stage, and it kind of reminded me of that, right? But his point was that, you know, entrepreneurs, and Indian entrepreneurs in particular, that there's a struggle there, right? Mm. And that everybody doesn't see that sort of long game struggle. And this dovetails nicely with what we were talking about, about being myopic, right? Is that, you know, an entrepreneur looks like they have an idea, they raise some money, they grow really fast, they get really rich, they get really famous, they buy a boat, a yacht, and, you know, a really fancy house, and then it's all over and done with. But the reality is, he said, and, and just give me a second while I go through this, and I'm going to miss some of it, right? But an entrepreneur is like running through the woods and getting chased by a tiger, and, you know, as you're getting chased by a tiger, you're running to the right and running to the left and running to the right, just trying to avoid the tiger. And you see a well and you jump into the well. Okay. And as you're falling down the well, you grab onto a branch because there's a branch sticking out there. But the tiger is still kind of looming around outside. But now you're halfway up the well and halfway down the well. And you look down at the bottom and there's a snake. <laughs> okay, so you felt safe, but you so weren't Indian. safe. Yeah, I like it. But this is but yeah. this is the story that was. I, I can't make this up, right? But this is the parable that they told. And again, it's it's a it's in a way it's like the frog in the well, right? Because you only know what you see. Mm. And he said, and then even because the guy feels safe, he's hanging off this branch. There are two rats. They kind of climb down the well and start gnawing at the end of the branch. And now the person's feeling really uncomfortable. And I forget how it ends, but I think part of it is that, like, the tiger jumps into the well and, you know, gets eaten or attacked by the snake, right? And then who knows what happened? I forget what happened. And then the guy gets out and then goes to safety. But the reality is that, like, nobody inside that well knows what's happening outside. Right. Getting into the well makes him feel safe, but he's not safe. And that struggle along the way is maybe one of the things that the West is missing, that sense of that struggle and that parable about the struggle. The, com the comfort zone, isn't it? We talked about this before in our travels. I mean, that's why you've got to get out there. Is you've got to get outside of your comfort zone and see. But again, that's one of the things I love doing is I love going to a new city and a new country and learning the way they perceive hmm. their own participation in their own ecosystem. That man who stood on the stage actually had a broken arm because he had fallen down right well. so he was probably a well it was a, <laughs> it was a real story chased by a tiger he was probably telling a story about himself but the point was that like this entrepreneurship thing is hard but in the context of the opportunity that's available in asia the idea that he ended with is that you know once you get out of that well once you survive all these things all of the opportunity is here and it's here for us in this region. And I think that that's a really important thing for us mm. to note as we talk about, you know, 70 people that got votes, 30 cities, 43 accelerator programs, 30 events of the events that got votes. But these are not the full numbers, right? Yeah. Hey, just uh, I mean, we talked a bit about travel, switching gears a little bit in summarizing this. 
we've been a lot on the road this year. We love traveling. I don't want to say that we finished traveling because you're packing your no. bags and you're off tomorrow, right? So yep. Yep. endless. But let's just maybe we can share one or two of the highlights from this year in terms of our adventures because I think people we don't often talk about them. We go often jump straight into the the news and the latest startup trends and developments and so on because that excites us so much. Sometimes we we don't share behind the scenes of what happens. During yeah, I mean, not traveling. Have you got any sort of off the top of your head that you remember from our adventures this year and all those cities we went to? Yeah, I mean, tell me what you want to know. So, I was in Fukuoka, right? Yeah. And I I went out to dinner one night, one of the nights where you and I didn't have dinner together. So I thought Fukuoka was an amazing place. It wasn't my first time there, obviously. Um, but I walked into a restaurant that I knew nothing about, filled with people that oh, didn't know me. Right, so this is not startup related per se, but this is the interesting thing about traveling, right? Is that first of all, I'm the only foreigner in the restaurant, and it's almost like everything slows down into slow motion when I walk in, right? And it repeats itself because a very similar thing, and you know, Japan is, and you can argue with me about this, but particularly in some of the smaller cities, there's very little English spoken. It's not set up for foreigners, even though Fukuoka ends up being. A tourist city, this particular place was slightly off the beaten path, which is where I like to go. I benefit from the fact that I speak Japanese, but that experience of being in a place that I don't know always adds to the things that I learn. But that's one in Japan, like that's one of the benefits of that type of travel. But again, fast forward all the way to last week. Mm. Um, you know, this event ended at like five or six o'clock on a Saturday night and the sort of after event stuff, meaning cleaning up, thanking everybody, organizing people coming and going, all that kind of stuff didn't end until 11 or 1130 at night. I'm just talking about how this is how hard these kids were working on this thing and all of the organizers and all the people that were sort of ancillarily involved in this. And then we went out to dinner and, and, you know, walked across the street or whatever it was to have a drink. And again, we were me, David and I, and this one, Chelsea, who was there, we were the only foreigners in this place. And just the, but again, the acceptance and the energy and sort of the, not the camaraderie, but like that feeling that you get when you're in a place where it's, you're accepted for being there. You just have to see that feeling. So that was pretty incredible too. And it, it bookends really the, because I think the beginning of your and my traveling together was to Fukuoka. I think that right. was our first place. But those types of things to me are, are really great. Just interacting with the people in those local cities and getting a feeling for what, the energy there is like, I think is really important. Yeah. Let's just throw another one in there as well. Those are great examples. I want to mention Shanghai because Michael and I got invited to Shanghai by uh, our friends at Huawei. And we were right. out there for the, the, the Huawei Connect event. So it was one of those events. And if you've ever done a, a corporate hospitality gig, you will know that you don't get a lot of time to yourself. So you're flying into the airport, you get picked up, chauffeured away whisked to a hotel you then get met by a representative who gives you the the rundown you get 15 minutes to unpack debag wash shower and then you're off to the next thing and it was pretty much like that for three days wasn't it that we got yeah we got scheduled around we didn't get much time to do anything we're on site you know we just saw all of you know the insides of huawei and met all the people from huawei during those three days that you didn't actually see much of shanghai on the last evening they arranged a, a cocktail party for us, which is, you know, sort of typical of these kind of events. So we did the cocktail party and we were, you know, I think we we're pretty much done smoozing. We decided 
hey, let's just walk. You know, everybody's like, okay, we're going back to the hotel now, jump in the minibus. We're like, no, 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 we're going to walk it. And Michael and I decided to walk. And people are like, are you crazy? You know, you, you, where are you going? Yes, we are. Where you, you don't know where you're going. Like, it's, I don't know if it's safe out there for you guys. So we just decided we'd walk. Now, here's the interesting thing that I want to throw in here because this makes me laugh <laughs> when I think about it. For the whole time we were in Shanghai, we didn't have any money on us because we didn't get, we didn't get a <laughs> we didn't chance. Need it. We didn't get we didn't a chance, right? We didn't, we didn't go to an exchange bureau. Or they just, and everything was paid. Food was laid on. We had like Michelin star restaurants, everything. We had all the food and drink we wanted. And, you know, that was all catered for. However, on the last night where we decided to walk, we like, you know, there was no way we could change money. We said, okay, well, let's go get something to eat. How much money do we have? None of us had changed money. And all we had was the pocket money the organizers gave us, right? To buy water. I think it was like, I don't know, 40, one or something. How are, it was how, a t- it was a, it was probably a hundred and twenty. I can't remember what it was, but it was a small amount of money. And we literally, you wanted to like, we literally had to look at the menu and figure out right, right. like the three things we could order. Yeah, yeah. It was like one we was, split. It was like one was cookie. like a triangle of toast, wasn't it? To- prawn toast, like a tiny triangle. When you pointed at it, the guy looked at you. Nobody spoke English there. The guy looked no, at you. Do you remember how what? incredulous that guy was? He's like, "That's all you're ordering." We're like, <laughs> "This is all the money we have." And we actually, do you remember? I made him calculate it. Right, right, right. Because we didn't know if we were going to pay tax or anything. So <laughs> that was all the money we had. That was a great experience. I love things like that because it's just so off the record, off the track. And I think that's I mean, where that's you, you get a, that. Exactly. You get a real flavor for the local culture when you do that. And appreciation. I know you talk about going into a bar and, you know, like being the only three Westerners or non-Indians there. I think the, the key, and it sort of goes with everything we're talking about, you have to want it, don't you? You could easily you go do. into that situation and think, oh, I feel really uncomfortable. I'm surrounded by lots of people who are not the same color as me and they're doing strange things. And But, you know, if you thrive in that environment, there's a lot to be gained from it. And I think it's not just a cultural thing. It's a, it's very much in the business context as well. But doesn't it talk a little bit about, you know, we say to people, you need to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And for people like we are, who have essentially lived our entire adult lives, traveling to places we knew nothing about, living in places where we were, you know, initially not, we didn't know what was happening there or how to get by or how to do like the simplest of things. But that is the whole notion of entrepreneurship is let me go and do something that no one's done before that I've never done before. And let me feel comfortable in a place where everybody else would be uncomfortable. In other words, let's do the thing that's just slightly harder. Right. And I think if you look at a normal entrepreneur and definitely a normal entrepreneur in Asia, you'll see that they're doing things that nobody else has tried before. And that really matters. Yeah. For sure. I mean, this this episode was all about the scale and velocity of Asia. I think that makes sense when you put it in the context of the Asians themselves, right? And I think it would be difficult to argue that what's happening in Asia is very much on a similar vein to what happened in the United States back in the late 19th century, right? Where you had generations of people who weren't comfortable, who had no comfort zone. Yeah. And I think that's what we're hap- that's what's happening here in Asia is you had generations of entrepreneurs coming through who have no comfort zone. No. And you know, apply that to the scale and velocity of change here. Well, twenty eighteen, here we come. Right. So one of the maybe we should finish on this, right? But one of the one of the charts, it's not even a chart, it's just a map. Right? It's probably like a <clears throat> it's a satellite, almost like a Mercator projection, right? So the Earth printed pressed flat. 
And instead of the normal places that we see, you know, in the middle, whether it's the Greenwich Meridian or New York in the middle of the map, it's just Asia, China in the middle of the map, right? I mean, there's a reason why China is called the Middle Kingdom for a reason anyway. But if you look at this map and then just draw a circle around the places where we have traveled and the places that we discussed, there's a really interesting metric that we saw a few years ago when we talked to people again, back in 2013 and 2014 about starting to invest in Asia, which a lot of them still haven't done yet. And that was there are more people inside this circle than outside. And I think for this episode, maybe we should put that in the show notes just so people can see it. So I, I can, I can arrange for that, but there's a link there that if you click on it, it just shows a map and inside that map, there are more people than outside of it. And that's in the part of Asia where that we are discussing. Yeah. And I think that's really significant because what's going to happen is, you know, in the old days, it was really easy for imperial powers, whether they were from the West or not, to control the populations and the flow of economic activity in any particular region or in any particular country. And I think that that is over. And I think the myopia or the myopic sort of tendencies of investors and startup people that are in Silicon Valley and in the rest of the world are going to find out that that's going to be their first step towards irrelevance because Asia matters. Certainly does. Michael, thank you for sharing the journey this year. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Lots of ups and downs and <clears throat> plenty to learn in the process. And I think 2018 is going to bring a lot more on a greater velocity and scale as we get out there. And thank you to all the listeners as well. Thank you for your comments. And we read everything that you send to us and anything that you decide to tweet us at Asia Tech Pod. We'll pick that up. We always love to hear your opinions and thoughts about the issues that we talk about every week and would like to hear about your Asia Matters ideas as well. If you think Asia Matters, let us know what's happening in your city. If you think we should be in your city as well next year, then let us know because we'll be packing our bags once again and off out there running a series of round tables that's all to come you can find out more at asiatechpodcast.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter if you want to get regular updates on all our weekly content and you can also subscribe to us on itunes and leave a rating for us there let us know what you think because we pick up every review on itunes and itunes loves reviews as well so they do get it out there share the message thank you so much thanks to all the listeners this year it's been a lot of fun thank you Michael my name's Graham Brown we'll see you in 2018 thanks Graham you've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com